You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Always an honor to be in God's pulpit. So if you don't mind, I always pray for myself before I start. Jesus, I love you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your truth. And Lord, like my wife prayed this morning, we do want to pray a special prayer for the nation of Israel. They are your chosen people, Lord. We pray for your mighty hand, the mighty right hand of Jehovah God to cover the Israelites. Until that time, Lord, you you promise that you're going to raise and lift the veil, that they will see you for who you are, Messiah and Lord. But protect them, Lord, and protect us all. These days are evil. But greater are you, Jesus, who lives in us than he who is in this world. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. Thank you for the time that we spent together preparing this message. Thank you for what I feel is you giving me your mind and your insight. So I pray that you would speak through me now. For I'm a sinner saved by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. A robber convinced that a homeowner was out of town, broke into a house around midnight. He turned on his flashlight and began looking around for something to steal. Suddenly breaking the still silence of the night was a voice that said, Jesus is watching you. Startled, he turned to run, and then he muttered to himself, perhaps this is just my conscience speaking. I'm certain that no one is home. I've cased this house for weeks. He shined the light around the room, confirming that no one was there. Then he made his way towards the beautiful big screen TV. Then he heard the same voice, Jesus is watching you. The robber exclaimed, who is that? The voice said, I'm Moses. Then the robber realized it was a talking parrot. (laughs) Aggravated, the robber said, what kind of fool names their parrot Moses? The bird said, the same fool that named their Rottweiler Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is watching you, church. Thankfully, our Jesus doesn't bite, amen? Well, the title of uh, today's message is, Have You Seen My Joy? Have you ever been in a hurry to get out the door, perhaps for a lunch date or an appointment, and you can't find your car keys? It's maddening, right? I mean, you check the kitchen counter, your pants pockets, the kitchen table, your bedroom dresser. I don't know about you, but I'm a creature of habit. I suspect many of y'all are too. I like order and consistency in my life. My mama used to tell us a place for everything and everything in its place. And that goes for car keys and wallets too, right? I place my car keys and my key fob and my wallet on the family room table every night Without fail, it's consistent. And with that consistency comes a comforting assurance that when I need to leave for an appointment or whatever, that my keys will be exactly where I left them last. Now, my eyeglasses are a different story altogether. (laughs) I misplace those daily. As frustrating as it can be to lose your keys or your wallet, that pales in comparison to losing your joy. Christian, did you realize that you can lose your joy, the Lord? And and let's include peace in that, too, because peace and joy, they go together. I've lost my joy of the Lord before, and I suspect many of you have, too. This morning, I want to take a look at the life of Solomon. 
Now, if you're a new Christian and you've never read about the life of King Solomon, that's okay. I'm going to give you a quick history lesson right now on how Solomon became king over Israel. Around the year 1446 B.C., the Lord spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He told Moses to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and tell Pharaoh to free his people, the Israelites, from slavery. The Lord instructed Moses to tell the Israelites that his name was I Am, that I Am, which in Hebrew means Yahweh. The Lord empowered Moses to lead his people, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But because of their disobedience and lack of faith, that generation didn't enter the promised land. Instead, Moses led the Israelites for 40 years in the desert. When Moses died, God chose Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua led them for approximately 30 years. Then came the period of the judges. God chose judges to lead Israel until 1050 B.C., when the Israelites cried out to God for a king so they could be ruled like other nations. This hurt the heart of God because what they were telling him is, we don't want you to lead us. We want to be like other nations. But the Lord gave them what they wanted. So in 1050 B.C., Saul was anointed as Israel's first king. Saul ruled over Israel for 40 years. Then the shepherd boy David was anointed king. The Lord referred to King David as a man after his own heart. However, David was human, and he sinned greatly against the Lord when he had an affair with Bathsheba. David tried to cover up the affair by having Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed in battle. The child conceived from their affair would die, but David would take Bathsheba as his eighth wife. She would then conceive a son, and they would name him Solomon, which in Hebrew means peace. It was in David's heart to build God a magnificent temple in Jerusalem, but God told David that his son Solomon would be the one to build the temple. And after David reigned in Israel for 40 years, he died and Solomon was indeed anointed king by Zadok the priest in 970 B.C. Solomon, like his father David, would rule Israel for 40 years. Now, at the beginning of Solomon's reign, he was on fire for the Lord. Solomon served the Lord with his whole heart, and it was his desire to please God in all he did. In fact, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Wow, what would you say to that? There were no stipulations here. He could ask God for anything he wanted, but here's what he said. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And then the Lord said this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, 
Nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but have asked for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And so the Lord did what he promised. At 20 years of age, Solomon was filled with wisdom from the Lord, with untold riches, wealth, and honor. With God's blessing, over the next seven years, Solomon built a majestic temple for the Lord. Solomon prayed a passionate and heartfelt prayer of dedication, and the Ark of the Covenant was placed within the holy, holy place. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, a cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Isn't that amazing? The Lord was high and lifted up, and he was pleased with Solomon. And Solomon loved the Lord with an undivided heart. You can feel Solomon's joy in his early writings. Listen to his words from the Bible in Song of Solomon. It's also called Song of Songs in some Bibles, but which, by the way, was written to tell of the love between a bridegroom, King Solomon, and his bride. But it was also written to affirm the sanctity of marriage and picture the love of Jesus for his bride, the church. Now, imagine Jesus saying these words to us, church, his bride. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And again, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O oh loved one, with all your delights. Jesus is the lover of our souls, y'all. And listen to Solomon's desire to follow God when he wrote this in Proverbs. Now, this is a life verse that I cling to, to for me and Sherry and for my children. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Here, Solomon's words are filled with hope, filled with promise, filled with wisdom, and filled with the joy of the Lord. These two books were written at the beginning of Solomon's reign. Now listen to these words written toward the end of his reign. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in, king of Jeru king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The entire book of Ecclesiastes goes on like this. He goes on to say, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? He won't be writing greeting cards for Hallmark, will he? What happened here? What a stark contrast from the earlier writings from a man full of love, humility, hope, and the joy of the Lord to the writings here of someone who is desperately out of hope, someone who has lost the joy of the Lord. Solomon, a man richly blessed with the very wisdom of God, had clearly lost his way. And his life lesson, or his life rather, can be a lesson to all of us, brothers and sisters, God instructed Solomon at the very beginning of his reign as king. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime 
you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. If you walk in obedience and keep my commands. One of the commands the Lord specifically gave to Solomon was not to marry foreign wives. He said, for if you do, they will entice you to worship their gods and your love for me will grow cold. Y'all, that's exactly what happened to Solomon. King Solomon loved many foreign women, including the daughter of Pharaoh and women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and the Hittites. In the past, the Lord had said to the Israelites, you must not marry people from other nations, for if you do, they will cause you to follow their gods. But Solomon fell in love with these women. He had 700 wives who were the daughters of leaders from other nations. He also had 300 slave women or concubines who were like wives to him. His wives caused him to turn away from God. And when Solomon was old, his wives caused him to follow other gods. So he did not follow the Lord completely as his father David did. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Does that sound like a good idea? It doesn't to me. <laughs> Beloved, here's the absolutely frightening thing. Solomon wanted to serve the Lord with his whole heart. And in the beginning he did. But when we let sin creep in, when we crack the door and give it a foothold, it begins to increase and overwhelm us. And its ultimate desire is to destroy and devour us. And with Solomon, I'm sure it was a slow fade at first. But misstep after misstep after misstep, and he found himself far, far from the Lord. And church, I'm here to tell you, when we choose to disobey God, the very first thing to go bye-bye is our peace and joy of the Lord. Every single time. So what do we do? How do we guard our relationship with Jesus and protect ourselves from losing the joy of the Lord? We need to embrace God in every season of life. This world we live in has seasons, right? Kelly just sang about those. Winter, spring, summer. And we're about to enter into my favorite season, fall or autumn. Our Lord is so good. He created the seasons, and we enjoy their beauty and their splendor. But God, he's always trying to teach us and to reveal himself to us. In the seasons, they're no exception. <clears throat> Just like this created world has seasons, so do our lives and our walk with Jesus. We would be well served to pay attention to the seasons of life when they come and go and when they change so that we don't fall away, but instead remain close to the Lord. Remember how I talked about my car keys and the consistency of keeping them in the same place so I don't lose them? We need to have consistency in our walk with Jesus so that we don't lose touch with him. We need to remain faithful to the spiritual disciplines of our faith so we'll be prepared for the different seasons we'll experience in our walk with Jesus. Doug, what are the spiritual disciplines? I'm glad you asked. This is just some of them. Bible reading. We need to do this daily. The Lord has given us his holy Bible to teach us about himself and to teach us how to live holy lives that are pleasing to him. For the word of God is living and active. 
It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's Word, the Holy Bible, is alive. The Old Testament, the New Testament, they are infallible and inerrant, without error. Written by the hands of men, yes, and every word guided, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Another spiritual discipline, study the Bible with other believers. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That was written by our brother Solomon. There is power and strength that comes with meeting together with other believers. This is God's plan, y'all. All of us, not some, but all of us, meeting together, empowered and enlightened by the Holy Spirit, teaching and learning the entire Bible together. We have some gifted Bible teachers in this church, y'all. Jeff Willis knows the word. Joy Percival knows the word. Marty Shambliss, Tim O'Donnell, Sally Abilie, Greta Emling, they know the word. Guys, we have a men's Bible study that meets on Monday nights. We're studying through the book of Romans, and it is rich. All are welcome. Come. Ladies, women rooted in Christ is our women's Bible study. They are watching the anointed miniseries about the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples called The Chosen. They have rich discussion time after each episode. All are welcome. Come. Christian, it's not good enough to know about the Bible. We have to know it. We have to have it hidden in our hearts. Amen? And for the sake of time, I want to unpack all of the spiritual disciplines. But some of the others are prayer, scripture memorization. What did Jesus do when he was, a, was being tempted by Satan? What did he use? Scripture. He knew it. He had it in his heart. Practicing generosity and kindness. Fasting. Fellowship with other believers. Observing times of silence before the Lord. Celebrating his goodness. All of these things are huge, y'all. And they get easier the more you do them, I promise you. Prayer's hard at first. Because you're talking to someone that you can't see with your physical eyes. But as you faithfully do it, the Lord reveals himself to you. And you begin to see him moving in and through your life with your spiritual eyes. Can I get a witness to that this morning? Church practicing these spiritual disciplines trains us to be strong followers of Christ. The Apostle Paul, he compares it to training for a race. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And when we are close to Jesus and strong in the Lord, then we are positioned to embrace God in every single season. Remember the scripture from Ecclesiastes that Kelly read earlier. For everything, there's a season. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And what are some of the seasons of walking with the Lord? Look, I could be here for hours if I tried to name them all, but I'll, I'll name four. Winter, the season of waiting. 
In creation, winter is marked as a long and dreary season, a season of dormancy. In our walk with Jesus, it can often be a season of waiting. This season requires patience and trust in the Lord and his timing. We know that God has good plans for our life, but in this season, we don't see them coming to fruition. We must trust that his timing is always perfect. Listening to the prophet Habakkuk, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Spring, the season of growth. In creation, spring is marked as a time of cleansing and restoration from the difficult days of winter. Soil rotates, refreshing rains, a time of transition, a time of pruning and regrowth. In our walk with Jesus, it can be a season of growth. We must have a deep understanding of how the Lord accomplishes growth in his children, though. In order for us to grow, the Lord must prune us and refine us. This usually happens through trials, tribulations, and testing. This requires endurance and perseverance in our faith. Our brother James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of y'all have heard this story, but I'm going to share it again. <clears throat> the end of 1999 and going into the year 2000, God was calling me into a new season. A spring season, a season of tremendous new growth. But he had to prune my faith first so that I would fully trust him. He called me to leave my job managing a glass shop in Marietta and to trust him for a ministry assignment that he had for me. Here's where the test of my faith came in. He didn't reveal what the assignment was. He just told me that my phone would ring. Sherry and I had a brand new baby boy, Eli. Try telling your parents that you're quitting your job because God told you to. And furthermore, he said your phone is going to ring with your assignment. I'm so grateful that God spoke this same thing to my wife, Sherry. So we took the blind step of faith. And I start waiting for my phone to ring. One week, two weeks, three weeks. Finally, Sherry asked me, did God happen to tell you when your phone would ring? <laughs> no, he did not. I'm sure my folks and my in-laws were starting to think that I'd lost my mind. My mom and dad felt sorry for me, so they hired me to spread a pile of sand in their backyard. This wasn't a pile of sand, mind you. It was a mountain. It had its own zip code. <laughs> well, I'm spreading this sand with a wheelbarrow and shovel hour after hour after hour. Didn't seem to go down at all. That's when the devil started filling my head and my heart would doubt. You didn't hear from God. This was all a huge mistake. I had blisters on my hands and my back was hurting. And this giant mountain of sand was just mocking me. Utterly discouraged, I spiked the shovel in the sand and left for a lunch break. 
The very moment I started my truck, I heard Pastor Mark Rutland preaching on my radio and he said, you might be complaining that your back is hurting from shoveling dirt. <laughs> but finish the task at hand, son, because it builds perseverance and character. Wow. In total shock, I started laughing at first and then I started crying. <laughs> I wasn't imagining all of this. It was all true. I had heard from God and he was encouraging me that day to stay the course. Stay the course, son. I didn't doubt God's calling any longer after that. I took a job landscaping with my buddy for about three months. Some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. But I was at peace. I had shalom. Then guess what happened? My phone rang. And it was my friend who went to Dunwoody Community Church. And they were looking for a worship leader. Evidently, I passed my test. Because that would be my assignment from the Lord for the next 11 years. And God did all of this in my spring season of growth. Summer, the season of dryness. In creation, summer is marked as a time of extreme dryness and heat. Marked by a need for more water than usual to sustain strength and life. The top of the ground cracks from heat. In our walk with Jesus, this is a season of dryness. The Lord seems distant or far away. Our prayers may seem like they're bouncing off the ceiling. This season of dryness can come from being bogged down, distracted by the busyness of life. It's important to invite the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts to see if there's anything in our lives that is blocking our relationship with the Lord. David writes, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way or offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Fall, the season of abundance. In creation, fall is marked as a time of harvest. In our walk with Jesus, this is a season of abundance. Transformation is happening in our lives and we are bearing fruit we feel the nearness of Christ in all that we do. Victories and mountaintop experiences happen in this season of abundance. And there's one more season I want to touch on this morning. The season of spiritual warfare. Church, we're squarely, squarely in this season now. And it's going to intensify and escalate until Jesus returns. If we want to stand firm and defeat Satan and the forces of evil then we need to exercise the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God entrusted Adam with authority and dominion over the earth. But that was lost with sin, and that authority was transferred to Satan. But God, but God stripped that authority, dominion, and power from Satan and gave it to Jesus Christ after the crucifixion and resurrection. Christians, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we are heirs with Jesus. And we are his authorized representatives exercising Christ's authority on his behalf. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful example of how to embrace Jesus in every season of life. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ Jesus 
who gives me strength. And he gives us strength too, church. I want to circle back around to Solomon. Where did he end up? Was he too far gone to return to the Lord? No, I don't think so at all. Even though he allowed his sinful nature to pull him away from God, there is every indication that he returned to the Lord. Near the end of his reign, in the end of his life, he came to this conclusion at the end of his book, Ecclesiastes. And it is solid advice for us, church. Solomon writes this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, came to this conclusion. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What does it mean to fear God? Fearing God means having a deep reverence for him that greatly impacts the way we live. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his authority, and with the Holy Spirit's help, daily crucifying our fleshly desires and picking up our cross to follow Jesus. Fearing God means that he is first in all things. He is sovereign over all things. He is above all, above our jobs, above our spouses, above our children, above our desires, and above our very lives. To fear him means that we're sold out for him. We're all in, and we're willing to lay anything and everything on the altar to put him first. Solomon pursued happiness and earthly pleasures. Those will never fill the God-shaped void within us. They never can, and they, they were never meant to. Only relationship with the Lord can do that. This may be a shocking statement to some, but the Lord doesn't want us to just be happy. He wants us to be obedient. That's how we show our love to him. And when we are obedient, something lovely and altogether wonderful follows. Godly obedience unlocks the fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord trumps happiness any day of the week. You see, happiness depends on our circumstances. But the joy of the Lord comes from trusting God. It's in the joy of the Lord that our brother Paul wrote most of our New Testament from a prison cell. The joy of the Lord doesn't change. It doesn't leave. It doesn't give up on us. It doesn't abandon us because it's a gift from God's hand. Obedience to God is the key to remaining in fellowship with him throughout every season of life. Let's pray. Abba, Father, teach us to fear you to fear your matchless name, to have deep reverence for you, to live lives that are holy and pleasing in your sight. Teach us how to love you, Jesus, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help us and empower us, Holy Spirit, to embrace you in every season of life. Help us to trust that there is a time for everything and a season for every purpose under heaven. Sovereign Lord, we know that you will make everything beautiful in its time, for you make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. 
For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.